Good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe them. Marshall skips away. Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of The Voluntary Tackle. The only NRL podcast prepared to shoot Shane Webke and mount his head on a wall. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and today on the show, we'll be discussing all sorts of fascinating tidbits around life. Not maybe some rugby league in there, but mainly just sort of culture war issues, uh, geopolitics, and we'll throw in a little bit of home and away nostalgia uh, because we all love Judy Nunn and everything she's ever done. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, by the way, and I am joined at this stage only by one of my compadres, that is Media Watch Mario. Hello to you, sir. Hello to you. It's great to be here. Thank you, mate. It's great to have you here. Now, uh, I say only one of you because at this stage, Xander, mate, he stood us up again. Now, this is twice in a row. If this was a dating scene, Mario, and a girl had done this to me for the second time, um, well, obviously, first of all, I wouldn't see her again. But second of all, it would probably kickstart some serious, creepy stalking on my behalf. I'd probably be leaving, um, you know, messages in fire on her lawn and just sending creepy letters written in all sorts of font cut out of a magazine. I'd be I'd be hitting the roof, basically. Well, well what Senor Rosotto it seems to be doing is what I believe the young people call ghosting. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Mario, but for what purpose? Because I thought we were mates. I don't know if you saw the tweet I put out yesterday just bagging out your coach. I think Xander has seen it. Well, I know he has. He responded to it, and he's very upset that – he actually agrees that Robbo is very overrated and that Roosters have no positive future remaining towards them. And so he's just kind of pissed off about that fact. I almost believe you there, Mario, except for the fact that I've known Xander Rosotto for quite some time. And one thing about him that he is not is someone who will run away from a debate. He's very headstrong. He will sort of foist his views on you, even if you don't want them. Um, so I feel as though him running away from this battle about the Roosters seems like it's probably not likely. But for the benefit of the listeners, can you let them in on what Twitter stash you had? You didn't have a stash. All I did was put out a tweet that basically said that Robbo's overrated and he's, you know, what what's he really done that wasn't on the back of ever, of other people's good work? And, you know, you look at what the team he's had the last couple of years, everyone agreed the best team of 2021, the best team of 2022, and he's produced Sweet Fanny Adams. I don't remember the exact wording of my tweet, but it was obviously, as most of my tweets are, absolute shit takes. Shout out uh, to my friend Mike, who's I hope listening. Um, absolute shit takes meant to trigger usually Panthers fans, but occasionally other fan bases, and usually it works. Okay, so you have just outed yourself as a cynical provocateur. We'll get back to that in a second. Uh, maybe you are rugby league's answer to Milo Yiannopoulos. I'm not sure. But I'll, I'll put this to you uh, in lieu of Xander being here. Three premierships and only missing the finals one time doesn't mean anything to you. How do you respond to that? Stop living in the past. <laughs> Stop living in the past. <laughs> well, that's all we have to go on, um, Mario, I'm afraid. We can't go on the future. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and I'm still living off 2021 and 2008, but that's okay. Shit takes a trolley. <laughs> doesn't require logical facts. Well, certainly not this show, Mario. And uh, while we venture into the world of non-logic, um, let's just overshare a little bit onto my personal life, if you don't mind. And sorry, 
listeners, feel free again to spool forward a couple of minutes because I'm about to talk about my age. I'm I'm zeroing in on forty, mate, and uh, I have only weeks left of my thirties hood. Um, so I don't know what you did in the lead up to yours, mate. Uh, big milestone birthday, obviously. You can't run away from the fact that you definitely are middle aged when you hit forty, which is fine. But for me. Uh, what I'm trying to wedge into these next couple of weeks is everything that I could only do in my 30s, but I couldn't get away with it in my 40s. Do you know what I mean? Because you're too old, you're too over the hill. Um, so for the last week, hear me out. Um, what did I do? I, I ordered a McFlurry from McDonald's, which I don't think I'll be able to do once I hit 40 because it would be too embarrassing, especially because I get the mini M&M mix-ins. Um, so that's going to be particularly hard to do. And, um, I've, I'm going to have to retire my skateboard too, mate. And, um, I'm a little bit upset about that. I, I've tend to skateboard through the food court of Westfield at least once a week. I won't be able to do that anymore just because, as I said before, I have to wear the badge of being a person who's too old to do it. Um, interested in your take, am I taking this too far? And two, what did you do in the lead up to your 40 that you thought that you could never do it again once you hit that mark? I have to admit, nothing. I wasn't concerned about being about turning forty. It wasn't a problem. I'll tell you what I did on the when I turned forty. I immediately yes, jumped, I immediately jumped out of a plane. I assume you're talking about skydiving. You weren't some kind. You didn't become a nine eleven hijacker. That's correct. I actually did have a parachute attached and landed safely. As you may have guessed, the fact that you're talking to me at the moment, uh, and I had never skydived before. I waited until I was forty to, before giving that a crack. Now, is the reason you did that is you went, you were just playing the numbers. You went, well, I've had 40 good years. If I plummet and hurtle towards the ground and die, it doesn't matter as much. Like the tragedy's been lowered a bit. In reality, I'd spent many years wanting to skydive, trying to arrange it with various friends, trying to convince my wife to do it. It was just never going to happen. Any, any, any friends who said they would do it with me when the time came to book something, they all pussied out and changed their minds. And I just wasn't super keen on doing it by myself. And so then we're... We're in Port Macquarie, the wife and I, on this little, you know, little weekend away for my birthday. And I wake, I wake up at the first morning we're there, and she's like, "Here you go," and hands me a ticket to go skydiving. Wow! But not with you. She went, "You do it." No, I, I, I'm I, definitely. I ended up going up with some lady in her fifties or sixties who'd never skydived before. Now she'd had it foisted on her by her family. The difference mm. was that she wasn't keen and she'd always told them she didn't want to skydive and they still gave her a skydiving ticket. Let's say it was her 50th just to just to have a safe guess. And she ended up taking it like an absolute trooper and loved it. I've got to say, I'd be really suspicious if my family said to me, here, have a skydiving ticket, <laughs> even though I'd never asked for it, even though I specifically said I wouldn't like to do that. If I were her, I'd be searching the bag for a hole in the chute. Especially at her age when it's all younger people giving you the present and surely they're just mm. after an early inheritance. A hundred percent. So yeah. um, I, hope, I hope she's alive. Did you did you see her on terra firma? Did she end yeah, up making she, it? She landed before me. So I, I saw her hit the ground before I hit the ground. <laughs> okay. Did she hit the ground? Did she land on the ground? Well, la- landed rather nicely. So it was fine. Okay. She, she loved it. She was very happy at the end of it. Mm. Well, people can, you know, get all high and mighty about, you know, their skydiving antics and everything like that. But I won't be impressed, Mario, until I meet the first person who's jumped out of a submarine. Because to me, that's where the baller move is. Because obviously, with that amount of pressure, depending on how deep you are, you would be vaporized instantly. And again, that's fucking bravery in my book. 
Speaking of bravery, mate, we should move on to some rugby league topics. Now, I know we've got the World Cup going on, so we will talk about that a little bit. Um, I've had a quick scan of, of the news items, and I wanted to run this one by you first of all. Uh, it involves a, a story around Jared Wurria Hargraves, mate, and apparently uh, there's a chance that he might leave the NRL and go play in France. Uh, so I want to get your take on that first and foremost. If that were to be true, is it a good move for Jared? I think it is a good move for Jared if it happens. The guy has still got it that he always starts the season a bit slow for you guys, but when when it gets to the business end of the season, he picks his game up and he finds that little fountain of youth and he ends up being one of the best props in the whole game, let alone in your team. But he's not getting any younger. Being a prop in NRL is a really tough game. I think he would walk into the... English Super League and absolutely crush those poor bastards. They would they wouldn't have seen a player who actually runs in hard like like one of the bet the hardest they would have seen was Mossy Masoy and JWH hits a lot harder than Mossy ever did. You know the secret I know this because I'm a Roosters fan, um, as to how Robbo gets the best out of him at the business end of the season. Um he actually around that sort of I think it's about July, August, he starts to starve Jared. Um, so he deprives him of food, a bit like you would if you were, you know, had some kind of attack dog. Puts him in a cage. He pokes him a bit uh, with like a stick under the ribs. Gets him really fucking mad. And just before season, the final season starts, he starts feeding him raw meat. Um, just throws it in the cage. Lets him savage on that. That's the reason. Obviously, as you said, he starts off the season a bit soft. Um, but you know, when he's sort of ripping hard um, off the back of sort of raw horse meat. Um, you know, it really does bring the best out of him. And as you say, I think when it comes to the English Super League, um, I actually think that maybe it should be denied on safety grounds because I think if he went to play in France, he would probably kill some Frenchmen uh, because he plays the game too hard. The only reason I think he might not do so great in England is simply because he's one of those players who I really believe thrives off competition and he'll pick a target I'm going to run at this bastard. He'll pick the biggest guy that the James Fisher Harris's, the, you know, a Tom Burgess or whoever, he's going to pick the biggest guy on the opposition. Who's actually a good player. And he wants to go out and prove he's a, he's better than them. The problem with him going mm. to England is we all know he's better than all of them. And um, he might not feel any challenge. And so he might not actually get fired up. So what you're saying is he would sort of maybe be the Joker, but without a Batman. And what we all know that the Joker without a Batman would just essentially be a, a rather kooky guy who works at the Commonwealth Bank. Um, he doesn't really do the whole supervillain thing because he needs his counterpoint. And I agree with you. I think if he he does thrive on competition, that much is clear. That's why he tried to take off the head of Nelson and Sofa Solomona um, in a, a few games out from the finals this year. And because uh, that is one man most people don't pick on. Um, except for one guy in Bali once who, um, you know, had his spleen removed pretty quickly. So it was a mistake. So I, I think you might be right. If you went over there, would we see Jared just get a get bit, bit fat? Would he get a bit lazy and overweight and sort of, I don't know, what, what would a fat Frenchman do? They'd get in, probably eating too much soft cheese. Yeah, and he might really enjoy the pastries over there. Yeah, yeah. You should, although you should call them Frenchmen. You can't call them pastries anymore. It's derogatory. But I, I hear you. Um, I, I think he would be a danger to the French. In a way, I mean, I think we'd probably see him over there um, off the chain. I don't know if he would, you know, necessarily blend in with French culture. 
um, too much. I, maybe they'd have to wheel him around in one of those Hannibal Lecter outfits just to make sure he didn't kill anyone pre-season. Uh, for me, it's a mistake. Well, mate, if the whole, you know, eating raw horse meat here seems to help him for the end of the season, they just need to feed him raw Frenchmen. Yeah, I wonder what. I mean, I've tried cooked Frenchmen, but never raw. Hmm. I mean, a fr- Frenchman tartare, that sounds, it's a, you know, I mean, stick a bit of lemon on them. Let's see how they go. And the best part about a raw Frenchman, as you know, Mario, is that it's not a pink meat, it's yellow because they're all cowards during wartime. Um, I'm going to make that joke every time. Now, I don't know about this, but another thing that he may not blend that well with over in France could be Emmanuel Macron's unique blend of uh, centrist capitalism. Would would that be a factor for Jared, you think? Uh, he doesn't strike me as the most politically active sort of guy. I feel like he just lives and breathes rugby league and he just, he, he's, he wakes up in the morning he munches on some sort of, you know, the, the head of a newborn baby goat, and then he goes out, does some training, and then for dinner, he grabs six six newborn guinea pigs and just munches them down. Yeah, you're right. What gave it away that he wasn't politically in tune? Was it the foaming at the mouth? Was it the rough man beard? Oh, well, no, to be fair, that all seems like standard um, Peter Dutton behaviour. So, you know, it was, it was just more... The, the the way he's so intense on rugby league, so I think he's actually too intelligent to be a politician, for example. You know, all this talk of raw meat and cages, Mario, reminds me of a story that happened during the week, and I assume you saw it. Uh, Taronga Zoo, uh, four or five of their lines got out. Did you read about this? Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty amazing. So there were people actually in the zoo at the time doing that roar and snore thing. I don't know if you've heard about that, but you can you can camp overnight in a tent with the animals obviously they're in cages normally um so things are normally quite safe but i think it turned into a roar and gnaw session because these these lines are out and about and it was a beautiful little grab one of the news stations got um it was this german tourist i think he was german he was definitely european but he was the most calm and casual uh observer for a potential line attack i've ever heard he was like yes i heard the uh these lines roar and i thought ooh a bit scary <laughs> and he was like most people be shitting their pants he thought it was quite enjoyable kind of like a video i saw today of some marine biologist i don't know what country she was in but she was about she was just you know in her diving gear just about to free dive out in the out in the ocean somewhere and as she's about to jump in she just pops back as this massive tiger shark comes up to say hello with its mouth wide open and she literally almost jumped right into it but the amazing thing about that video was her and the, some guy behind her, presumably another scientist, they're all just laughing about, oh, look at look at that. Oh, isn't that funny? Look at this big big tiger shark. Oh, look at his teeth. And then as the video ends, you see her jumping in. She, you don't see her hit the water, but she's clearly on her way about to jump in to swim right next to this enormous shark. You know I'm a king of segues, Mario, which is why it's so perfect that you we happen to have brought up sharks because I don't know if you've noticed, but the sharks have re-signed someone that I didn't think they would re-sign during the week. It's Wade Graham. Now a huge fan of Wade, have been since the early 60s when he first debuted. But I would have thought uh, re-signing a man at this age would be uh, a bit of a risk, especially as someone who's had quite a few injuries in the last couple of years. And if we're going to be honest, didn't have a hell of a lot of impact this year, I didn't think. Um, I hope he can recapture his best, but I want to get your take on that. I think he had a very strong impact this season, all of it negative. He was fucking trash. 
you can, <laughs> well, you I was can trying to be diplomatic, Mario. You can only think that they feel like they're going to get away with the medical retirement or something, and this is like a, a thank you for to him or something. I don't get it. He, I mean, then again, I, I follow a team who just, you know, extended Sean Kepi and Jason Saab. So there's a lot of strange decisions being made in rugby league at the moment, and maybe Wade Graham is just one of the many. Yeah, I, I mean, I get you on Kepi and Saab, but, you know, they're still quite young. I think the issue here, Mario, is that, uh, you know, Wade Graham did serve in the Korean War. I mean, he does go back away. Yeah, there's, and there's, he no, is a there's bo- no upside. I don't see an upside with Wade Graham playing this year. If he was on a just on a, a match payments contract or something and, you know, we'll see how you go, then sure, I could accept that. I can't believe any club was chat was competing with them to sign him. It's like when when the Dragons kept extending Mary every every year or two and you're always looking going why did they need to do that? Was any other club clamouring for a signature? Yeah, no, it is a weird one because I don't know if you feel the same way as I do. I think Wade Graham has been a tremendous player for the vast sure. majority of his career. Sure. I think he, and I can only assume that Fitzy uh, wants to maintain a, just a little bit more experience in the squad, at least for another season. But, you know, I don't know if you can afford someone taking up salary cap room in your squad just for experience when you know that they're one head knock away from retirement and one serious knee injury away from retirement. Um, you so, know, for me, it's, it's a risk. It's salary cap. It's a top 30 position that someone better isn't getting, but even put and then putting him in the 17, if he's, if he's there on some minimum contract, just to turn up to training each week and help with a bit of leadership around the club, that's probably fine. If the plan is to have him in the 17, that, Seems strange, unless he had an injury at the end of last year that we didn't know about, and he's actually got better play in front of him. And that's possible. Mm. I, I won't rule it out. People older than him have, have been good, so it is possible. It just seems unlikely based on what we saw. Is there a chance, Mario, that someone down at the Shire, um, this is sort of a Machiavellian take, but just doesn't like Wade and wants to see him have that, that one head knock that takes his brain too far? I mean, I know that when I don't like someone, I try and make sure they get themselves a multi-hundred-thousand-dollar contract for, for the next year or two. That, that's, that's my best revenge. Yeah, I know. I tell you, I wish I honestly wish more people hated me because I need the cash. Yep. I, uh, I, I um, think enough people hate me, but none of them seem to be throwing money at me. <laughs> <laughs> I told you this pre-show, mate, but for the listeners, I have a bit of a cold, so if I laugh and then degenerate into what appears to be B. Arthur having an asthma attack. The reason is because I've got a little bit of a chest condition at the moment, so I apologise for that uh, and the horrible sound that will no doubt ensue gurgling from my throat. Um, look, let's move on from Wade, mate. I, I read a story as well just before we came on, which I thought was quite interesting. There is chatter apparently about the NRL uh, potentially implementing a, a pre-season competition, and by Preseason, I don't mean nines. I mean an authenticated 17-man proper competition um, is a way of garnering interest as we weigh in. And interestingly, um, as a way of also drawing attention to the Redcliffe Dolphins. I don't quite understand the relationship there. Um, I think the last time I saw this was at the Panasonic Cup. I think I was about five years old the last time they did something like this. Um, it's interesting move to me if it does go ahead, in a, I guess, in a climate where we're already talking about players being 
overworked, um, you know, trying to protect them from injuries, and yet we're thinking of potentially throwing in a proper full-out competition before the season. Strikes me as a little bit misguided, but I want to get your take, sir. I want to play devil's advocate on this idea just a little bit. If you look at English football, and they've got the Caribou Cup and the FA Cup, which and which is kind of amazing. They have three different competitions running, plus the Champions League and the UEFA Cup and all this sort of stuff. So they've got all these different competitions happening at once. But they also have bigger squads so they can bear that burden and they have more depth to carry such large squads, which Rugby League doesn't really have. But you would suggest that, you know, it, let's say it's a cup, it's a comp of the 17 teams plus, you know, Q Cup and reserve grade teams. I don't know how that would work if they're all feeder teams, but whatever they were going to do, like maybe PNG Hunters and things like that, you would suggest that the rugby, the, the NRL level teams are going to be playing reserve grade squads against any lower teams to start, or even against each other, just to start the first few rounds and not take it seriously until, oh, hang on, we made the semifinals, let's trot out our real team because we'd like to win this prize money. Uh, surely it can't be more than that. If it's if they're actually expecting or having like a minimum, you have to have this many from your starting 30 playing or something like that, It's I can't imagine the clubs agreeing to it is it, it, the first thing. They have to pay them so much because, the, as you say, the amount of risk, injury risk on these relatively meaningless games in in terms of the only games that matter are the ones that lead to a premiership and some pre-season cup isn't going to actually really matter except to Parramatta fans. And I guess the rationale that I read uh, was suggesting that this would replace trials. So I guess in the same way that, you know, you, you don't have your stars trot out for a lot of those trial games, or if they do, it's only for eight or nine minutes. Um, and, it's interesting because I guess in the last couple of years, they have looked to lift the profile of trials actually for the first time and they're all been televised and I thought that was quite interesting. But I guess if it, if it replaces trials, maybe that sells me on the concept a little more because um, it sort of becomes like a bit like a trial, but there's a little bit more meaning behind it, a little bit of prestige in that you get whatever trophy it would be and plus from what I understand, some pretty sizable prize money. I think that's the big incentive that there's actually like a, a fairly hefty pay packet on the line if you actually happen to take it out. Um, so there's that factor. I think if they if it were to replace trials and it sort of, I guess, hedges and plays a dual role of getting people g'd up about the season, getting a bit of a hit out for the players, and also making it slightly more meaningful. Um, maybe that works, but I guess the devil would be in the detail. How long does the comp go for? You know, uh, as you said, are you, are you going to be playing all your top line teams? And what I read was quite <laughs> interesting. They, they would also potentially have other teams from overseas enter just for a little bit of extra cachet value. So they were touting St. Helens. Yeah. How do you feel about that idea of actually flying a team in for a bit of extra interest? It's like no one remembers 1997. And how disastrous <laughs> having the English team was, having English teams in the Super League, or even the world. Remember when we had the World Club Challenge with three NRL teams like Brisbane, who'd come last or something like that, uh, playing against an English team and still flogged them. 
Uh, yeah, that was a weird concept, though. I don't know what they must have been smoking crack when they came out of that. It's, it's the same result, isn't it? That's what this would be. You can pull teams from up your asshole. Who cares? But ultimately, they're still, if they're not an NRL standard team, they're just going to get hammered. And what's the point? The other thing that you said was, you know, a bit of interest earlier in the season. But here's the problem the start of, the, of every NRL season, ratings are high, crowds are good. By about round seven or eight, people have started to get a bit over it. It's much like, you know, games 35 to 50 of, of the NBA season that people don't really care because they don't really matter all that much. You care at the start of the season, then you have a lull, you only care about origin, and then you get towards finals and you care again. So if we're expected to give a crap about rugby league properly during these glorified trials because there's a comp, by round one, are people actually going to be interested or will they already be starting to get a bit stale? What I really heard from you there, Mario, was a better idea, which was around that round eight, nine part in the NRL when things get a bit stale and the interest dies down a bit, that's when you fly in St. Helens and you have St. Helens just turn up randomly and run out and play a bunch of teams in a row. Maybe they should have to play all eight games consecutively. So back to back to St. Helens, but only one game each for all of the NRL sides to the point where, you know, in the 17th game, <laughs> St. Helens are a punch drunk. I think that would actually be kind of interesting to watch. I mean, we've seen how excited um, the fans are to watch drubbings in this in this current World Cup. So why not have St. Helens come out and get done 174 nil by the Tigers? That, uh, that couldn't possibly fail to excite the fans. Well, now you've just been absurd. So one thing I want to do, Mario, about this idea is uh, really pick your brains on what a good incentive would be for a team to win that preseason competition. Because for me, it seems to boil down to having some skin in the game and actually wanting to achieve success. Because a lot of the time, uh, you know, these preseason things are quite arbitrary and no one really gives a shit if they win or not. Uh, so I want to pick your brains here. And again, not literally. We, we tried that a couple of months ago and it was, well, it didn't go well. You, you spent three days in casualty. What kind of incentives would have to be in place to make this system work? I've got a very simple answer. The winner of the preseason cup gets half a million dollar bigger salary cap. Runner-up gets two hundred and fifty. Third and fourth get a hundred grand each. I like that. To me, yeah. that makes incentive. It doesn't make it un. I don't think it's unviable. I, you know, if he, a, half a million is great, but you know, Manly carried half a million with Manassi Finu for three years or something. They were still competitive. It's not going to make or break a team, but it's certainly an advantage that I think every team would look at and go, "Oh, this is worth it." Even a hundred grand is a top thirty player that you can get for good half a season, something like that, when, you know, a late season signing, you get a pretty good player for a hundred grand at that point. Yeah, look, I hear you. But then on the other side of the coin, I think about a club like the Roosters where half a million dollars is just a drop in the ocean. We don't really give a shit about amount that's so small. Um, that's only half a third-party contract for Jared Rhea Hargrave. So I think for a team like the Roosters to really want to play well, they might need more than that. Um, I think for me, the answer lies in competition points. I think if the winner of that preseason competition got awarded six points, they got a six-point head start in the NRL, then suddenly that is game on. I reckon six is too much. What if you said four for the winner, two for runner-up, one for third and fourth? 
and maybe minus points for any clubs that just played really abysmally. Anyone, anyone who ends up with a minus one hundred for and against or worse at the end of however many games they play, they, they lose two points. I agree. Or well, you know, maybe that's a bit harsh, especially for some of the teams that probably aren't predicted to perform very well in the competition anyway. So maybe they should just be made to be humiliated. So when round one, twenty twenty three rolls around, let's say it's the Titans. They've had a really bad Panasonic Cup. And um, okay, you go, well, you've been spanked in all eight games. You have to at least play the first month with no shorts on. Just bare-bummed. Go bare-bummed. Sounds like you should call it the Winnie the Pooh Cup. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, um, is, that, is that because he wears no pants or because he often used to perform fellatio on Piglet? Well, a little from column A, a little from column B. Uh, I don't know if you remember when I said this, but part of the rationale for having this preseason competition, according to PVL, um, is to draw attention to the Redcliffe Dolphins, the new franchise. Now, I have no idea why having a preseason competition would specifically refer or bring good attention onto the new franchise. Um, but look, I, I'm all for the idea, though, of the Dolphins springboarding into the competition by doing some weird guerrilla marketing. Uh, but I don't know if a preseason competition is going to be the way, Mario. For me, it would have to be Wayne Bennett doing a strip tease uh, on the eve of the competition. You know how they do a bit of that, the, the sort of the, the theatre of it. They have some pre-season entertainment. For me, if Wayne Bennett were to get up on stage of Jimmy Barnes as he was doing simply the best and just took off all of his clothes and shook his wrinkly penis, to me that would put bums on seats. I mean, I just, I'm just picturing that scene in The Simpsons where Monty you know, comes out of the cake wearing nothing but a sash. I kind of assume that's what Wayne Bennett would do for Darius's birthday. Yeah, I don't think it technically is stripping if when you take off all your clothes, you don't have any meat or tissue on your body. You're just a collection of bones, essentially, and ligaments. At that stage, I don't think it is possible for a skeleton to strip. And that, that makes it a family event, I guess, because... You can bring your kids to it because there's nothing kind of sexual about it. It's just, I don't know, it's a spectacle, isn't it, when someone of 98 years vintage gets off all their clothes. Um, you just don't see that anywhere outside of an abusive nursing home. I mean, you ask most fans of Dragons or Broncos, and they would probably all tell you that Wayne Bennett is one of the sexiest humans on earth. So I, sp I think it's all a matter of perspective. You're right. That's the great thing about beauty, Mario, 100%. I mean, I've somehow got a, a fairly attractive wife, and you've seen me. It makes no logical sense whatsoever. So thank God, because otherwise, um, I mean, what would happen is only the good people, you know, and actually procreate and, and go forth in the world and multiply, while the rest of us of, norms. There's lots of eugenicists in the world who think that's the way things should be. Uh, one of them, Anthony Griffin. He's definitely one of them, let's be honest. <laughs> All the evidence suggests that he's he's right into that subject. <laughs> That's why we really need Giannis to uh, weigh in on that one. Well, yeah, um, every, every AFL player and coach and fan. They're... <laughs> <laughs> oh, golly. I killed him. Chest. Uh -oh. Yeah, I know, I know. Mate, um, okay, well, look, we've talked about pre-season competitions. Now, maybe it's old hat, Mario. Um, to have a preseason competition uh, playing the sport that you're about to play. It feels a bit like, you know, 
doubling up, doesn't it? I mean, here's a really small miniature version of everything we're just about to do for six months of the year. I think a much more interesting pre-season competition, why not get the rugby league players branching out a little bit and showing a bit of actual natural talent and ability? So based on that, I think we should give them a game of perhaps, you know, polo against King Charles or croquet or maybe some curling. Let's let's see what they've got. It's not all about rugby league. There's more to life than rugby league, guys. I completely agree with you, Mario. And I, I mean, you know, yeah, okay, it'd be interesting to know who would win between Brisbane at South at rugby league, but I want to know who's best at billiards. You know, I mean, I mean, I would tune in for that because we know that the a lot of these rugby league players, they're not trained in these other so you'd have to sort of be watching them play these sports for the first time. Um, and, and it could be fascinating, especially if, you know, someone like Cameron Murray has never held a cue before, you know, and he, he doesn't know what the fuck to do. Um, you know, I mean, it'll be a calamity in terms of the sporting event. But again, I, I refer to that same word. What a spectacle. The best, I think the best TV that Australia has ever seen was... I don't remember what the show was called, but it was basically Australia's best athlete or whatever, where Billy Slater w- went in twice and won twice and Quade Cooper went in and won. And they had all these different guys. Like I remember Jamie Wincup was actually pretty good. I think he came second to Quade Cooper, if I remember right, where they did all these different sports. And yeah, Billy Slater ended up winning one All-Stars one or something like that against people who'd won other series. And it was fantastic TV. They did all these different things and it was great. That's what we need more I of. Think- I actually really love that show. I don't know why they, they discontinued it, but I'd assume ratings. But I actually think Billy Slater won it three times. I don't know if I'm exaggerating there. I think he won it three times. And the thing about Billy Slater, I know you, you're not a Melbourne Storm fan, Mario, but you have to pay him, Mr. Slater his dues in this respect, that he is one of the fittest humans that's ever played the game, or played any game for that matter. And we know that because, as you said, that show – has the best of the best from a lot of sports competing at a whole bunch of different events. And yet Billy Slater rose to the top consecutive times to beat out these amazing athletes. And I remember uh, this was during his playing days, probably, you know, three quarters way through his career. Um, One of the AFL teams pulled Billy Slater into their training sessions as a bit of an outsider's perspective. You know, you sometimes you're trying to get another codes look and see if there's something that you're doing in your training that could be enhanced or, or perfected. And I distinctly remember just how in awe that squad was about how fit Billy Slater was because, you know, AFL players, not they're known for their fitness. They cover a lot of ground in a game. And, you know, when I remember seeing that news report, they basically said, yeah, we'd all come to a standstill and Billy was still moving. He, he was a freakish human in that respect. Oh, yeah. I mean, as I said, watching him win that show, I, I may have never liked him as a person, but I bloody respected him as an athlete. And I just loved that rugby league was there showing up how much better rugby league was than these, you know, crappy AFL athletes who, frankly, in my memory, and I maybe my memory is skewed it somewhat, sucked. No, no, you can say it. You're allowed to say it on this show. AFL does suck. Um, and everyone who plays it should die of an awful disease. Not right now. Um, you know, not, not, a, not an ogre. I don't want them to die in their prime, but yeah, later on in life, I hope they keel over before most people do. Um, look, it's an interesting players, one. Maybe there's one or two AFL players a week. We're not, we're not sadists. No, no, I don't, I don't want a, a genocide 
Maybe I do. No, I don't think I do. I don't want to genocide against AFL players as such. I would just like to see maybe one less team a year, maybe for a plane crash or something, just get them all out of the way early. Um, and then progressively, there's just no teams left. And then NRL don't have another competitor there. And then we just move into their heartlands with rugby league and start playing that sport everywhere and dominate um, in a sort of Putin-esque style of expansion. That's all I want. I'm, as I said, not a, I'm not an ogre, but well, I think that'd be good mind. for the league. I wouldn't mind starting the genocide on the particular coaches who decided that, you know, instituting their own stolen generation is was the way to go to create, you know, dynasties in AFL. And sadly, it did seem to work, given that Hawthorne won a whole bunch of grand finals in a short amount of time while they were taking part in this whole effectively stolen generation um, strategies. As you said, Murray, I'm, I'm as competitive as you get, um, but I do draw the line at sort of abducting First Nations people for sporting success. I, I draw a line somewhere. Sure, I'll tinker with a plane and hope a whole AFL team hits the ground, but I won't do that. You know, uh, like Meatloaf said, I'll do anything for league, but I won't do that. And in his case, uh, he's not doing that was taking a vaccine. Obviously, the World Cup is going on. We're about to play Lebanon. Um, does look as though, out of all the quarterfinal games, this seems to be the biggest mismatch. I don't think I'm, I'm wrong about that. Uh, how have you seen the tournament thus far? There's been some criticism that it's been going on a bit too long from some um, commentators. Some people just want to whinge. I mean, I get. I would like it to be structured differently somehow, so that there wasn't so many blowouts. But mm. you know, like, what do you propose? To, well, it would have to be a system of where you had the the better, you know, the best eight teams or something like that in little pools together, and then the slightly lesser teams, maybe the 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 Lebanons, the Cook Islands, even PNGs, perhaps someone like that, who are just that half step below the top four or five teams, that, that they might be the head of of a smaller pool, couple of pools. You know, one team from each from the the bottom two pools get through, and three from the top two pools get through, or something like that. So, so there's actually skin in the game in these early rounds, and Australia can't just take the piss and just rotate their players around just to see what the best combination is you've actually got to play your best player so I've, I've seen that sort of system proposed and I, I think it could work but that being said the absolute joy that has been in this competition from some of the players from Jamaica and Greece and countries like that when they've scored a try against one of the big big teams and just how over the over the moon they were they were so happy and it just made me so happy and you were, you found yourself you know, you're not wanting Greece or whomever to beat Australia, but at the same time, if they did, oh my God, it would be this most amazing thing. You'd, you'd actually feel kind of happy for them, even as an mm. Australian. You, I certainly felt happy for them when they got one or two or three tries in a game, and it just you could see what it meant to the players and what it meant to their fans and their co and their whole staff, and and that's a thing they can build on for the future. And by next World Cup, maybe they'll be that little bit better. And you never know when there might be a you know, the fact is Tonga, not that many years ago, were getting beaten by 60 points by Australia or New Zealand or whoever. But look what's happened. There's always, you know, better days ahead if 
certain people make certain decisions. And in our case, it's that, you know, people in charge of NRL don't just say fuck you to international rugby league like they have done in recent years to a large degree. But yeah, there's all there's always hope. And I just like seeing those really wholesome moments that have happened in the World Cup. And now I'm ready for some real rugby league and that'll be exciting too. Just you know, the idea of Greece beating Australia, I mean that would be pure euphoria for that country. They'd be jizzing gyros for weeks, wouldn't they, if they managed to beat the kangaroos. But, you know, people that come up with that criticism that, you know, why are these minnows in it? Well, like, these are the best of the minnows, though. They had to qualify to be there, right? So this is the – I think people have the misconception that this is – what we're watching in this competition is the extent of every country who plays rugby league, and it's not. There are countries that just didn't make it. So, yeah, okay, it's a testament to the, the chasm that exists between your top-tier nations and the rest. Um, you know, but certainly the game, from what I understand, continues to grow. And that, I mean, we see that at least in the Pacific, we see that very clearly that that gap is actually shortening. Um, but, you know, as you said, I, I quite like watching um, these teams play that I don't often get a chance to watch. And Jamaica, for example, sure, I've just learned that they're for the first time we're playing the game of rugby league. I had no idea up until this competition that Jamaica were actually playing, but they had to qualify to get here, Mario, and that's the point. They had to thump Nigeria. I mean, I don't know where Jamaica is in the world. Jamaica qualified by managing to beat out America and Canada in their in their American, like their America's continent competition. I only knew Jamaica uh, existed as a rugby league playing nation because I followed Chasing Kangaroos. And if anyone's interested in international rugby league, I would recommend them to give Michael Carboni a follow because he's all about international rugby league. And he's always sharing stuff like Greece and Serbia and Russia and all these different countries and their, their rugby league playing exploits. And, and they're often playing games in Australia that we don't even know are going on if it wasn't for social media. And most people still don't know where they'll have qualifying games in Australia because most of the players are still based here. They're just lower, you know, reserve grade Ron Massey cup sort of, level players a lot of them but it still means a lot to them and I'm sure making a world cup is this huge moment and for every so often you see some of these players in these lesser teams actually shine in a game and one of the games I saw I wish I remembered which plot who it was in which team but I remember a couple of players in in some of the really lesser teams really looking good like taking it to the Aussies make making a couple of breaks and stuff and and you you watch that and you go you know damn this this guy's just put his name out there and he's probably going to get himself a contract at a better team now and some, maybe it's a reserve grade side or something, but, you know, a feeder club for a, a real team and that's a real opportunity for players like that. And they become the Viliami kicker of their own respective nations. You know, they'd probably have statues of them. I mean, for the nine or ten people that follow the sport in their home country, that is, but they would be heroes among men exactly. um, after actually, you know, competing at the, you know, the World Cup. And look, it only happens every four years. I'm hoping every every stint that, uh, you know, things get stronger and it gets more competitive. I've enjoyed it. I've gone back and watched a few of the games. It's quarterfinals. I'll be, I won't be missing one from here on in. Um, I imagine the Kangaroos are going to do away with Lebanon, uh, Mario. But um, how do you see, I think the big game of the quarterfinals for everyone is Samoa versus Tonga. Let's focus on that one because, you know, local derby, much better than the last one we had because, you know, I think it was too soon to have Russia versus Ukraine. Um, so I'm glad that Tonga and, and Samoa are finally facing off. Um, there's been, both have presented probably fair to say some scatty form so far. There's been a few games where 
each team have sort of not, I guess, looked a bit lethargic. Um, the cohesion wasn't exactly there. But on the, by the same token, they've both had games that they've put teams away by 70 points. So um, a hell of a lot of talents on display in this game. And, you know, when I've seen these two teams go at it before, there's also a lot of passion. There's a lot of rivalry that exists between Tonga and Samoa. How do you see it going and how much are you relishing the occasion? Well, look, I have to admit I'm not going to watch that one live. 1.30 a.m. is just, I'm too old for that shit. But I do intend to wake up at about 4 or 5, set an alarm, and then just watch the game back without knowing the result. I'm very... Yeah, mate, I can actually, I can watch it live because I'm still in my 30s. Not for much longer. But (laughs) that's a game where you watch the pre-match stuff because them doing their their dance, you know, their war dance things is always incredible. Watching Fiji do their hymn, I swear that's like the 17 best singers on earth because they sound so good when they do that stuff. I can't wait. Now, mind you, you look at Fiji at $21 against New Zealand. I might be wrong. Maybe I'm remembering this wrong. But one or two World Cups ago, I'm fairly sure Fiji finished third or fourth after beating New Zealand in a quarterfinal. Is that the competition where Hayne was playing for Fiji? Yeah, I think it probably was. Don't quote me on mm. that. But it, yeah. it, was a, it was a while ago now, but I swear I remember them making a semi-final. Yeah. Well, 21 to 1 is crazy money, isn't it? It, it is crazy. PNG being 10 bucks against England. I mean, PNG looked really good against Tonga. They were in that game. Tonga were the better mm. team. But PNG were, you know, one, one, one or two decisions here and there away from winning that game. So... Uh, yes, England are probably going to win because England have looked better than I expected them to look. But, yeah, I, I don't think PNG should be completely ruled out of being competitive in Contention. that. Contention. Yeah. And yeah, you, look, I, I, and I will say this for you, Mario. Over last, I think it was two podcasts ago, you were mentioning that PNG were a chance against Tonga. And I think PNG were playing some ridiculous amount of money. And they lost by a converted try. And they, so, they you know, fell you're... right in it the whole game. I watched the game and they, they never looked out of it. Tonga always looked to have the edge, but yeah, they got so close. And I, I found mm. myself, you know, I found myself hoping they'd find a way to pull it off because you look at that Tonga team and it's just littered with NRL stars. And then you see this PNG team and it's, you know, good more than half of them, I think, play for the Hunters. That's right. And again, that's, I think rugby league are, are making some really um, intelligent moves there when it comes to game development with PNG. I, I think it's been a, a great thing pulling them into the, um, the lower grade comp. Um, and I think we're already starting to see that bear fruit at the international level. I think they look stronger this year than they did the last World Cup. And they were, they look good in that last World Cup. Um, but to me, you can sort of see where they've, they've come forward in leaps and bounds. Um, they probably still need, you know, a, a, a one one decent half back away. No offense to Lachlan Lamb, but he's not he's no Adrian, is he, Mario? No, he's no Adrian. I mean, they've got a, they've got quite a good hooker, mind you, ex Manly Junior, or certainly played for Manly in the lower grades anyway. And I've been I've been watching him play for PNG, thinking, oh, geez, you know, should should we get him back? He, he looks like a a good player. He's got a m- mistake or two in his game, but I think you'll. In a, in a, when you're in a slightly lesser team, there's all the the better players will often try and play above their weight to try and lift the whole team and maybe try a few extra things that you know sometimes they're not going to come off and I that's the way it's felt for me watching him play. But he certainly mm. showed a lot of good qualities, especially against Tonga. He was he was really really good and I think he got man of the match from memory despite a couple of 
brain snaps right in the last few minutes. Look, I agree with you. There's a, a splattering there of really A-grade players, obviously headed up by Olam, who's an amazing NRL first grader now. But one thing I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, but with P&G, what's so perplexing for me is that at least three or four of their players, white redheads. Now, look, I'm not totally familiar with every tribe that exists in P&G, but I didn't think a tribe dedicated to Richie Cunningham was one of them. Well, uh, there I mean, seems to be a lot of redheads. Uh, in defence of those players, A, people can be born anywhere and have whatever background. I'm sure people with red hair are just as able to be born in PNG of, you know, white parents. They don't have to be proper local natives. I, I see what you're saying. But, for example, if we were to have a, a rugby league team admitted to the competition uh, from Chad, let's say, uh, the landlocked country of Africa. You know, the idea that you're going to see someone that looks a lot like Magnus Carlsen uh, just seems really unlikely to me. And I mean, it would be like three or four players on the team looking as though they're from, like, Norway. Now, that's just an anomaly. I mean, it's fine. I have no problem with it. But it would just be unusual to see. And I think we're seeing that PNG that for whatever reason, there seems to be a lineage of the whitest people you've ever seen. I just feel like I can I can come back here with a couple of anecdotes, but I feel like we're venturing into dangerous territory. I'd rather avoid. So fair enough, mate. Well, let's um let's finish up then by talking about um, something less controversial. Let's go with uh, Lang Hancock's politics. The Knights are um signing not just Luke Brooks, but. A couple of, I wish I could remember the names, but a couple of very below average outside backs and releasing Dom Young to potentially, it sounds like, be oh. signed by Manly. And I'm, I, looked, I remember looking at the names that was being suggested that they were signing and I was like, why would you do that? Dom Young is like a really, a really good winger. And if Manly could get him, I'm just imagining him outside of Ruben Garrick in the centres and I'm just salivating at the prospect. If there's any truth to that, please, please, please make it happen. I want Dom Young at my club. 100%. I guess the World Cup has really shone a light on how good he is. Now, I've, I've seen him this year play a handful of games where I've gone in a beaten team. He seems dangerous. Uh, I love how strongly he carries the ball. I think he's got genuine talent. He's quite exciting to watch. Um, that would be just a classic Newcastle move, wouldn't it, for them to say <laughs> out of the, the squad of 25 players, you'd have to say to be charitable, you know, at least a quarter of those, uh, you know, aren't great. Uh, for the free up the cap, get rid of some players, including a gun, just so you could get Luke Brooks. Now, that would be the most Newcastle move that they could do. Their best players all year were Edric Lee and Dom Young. They've already lost Edric Lee to the Dolphins. If they lose Dom Young as well, it would be hilarious and I would love it so much. It would just be so very nice. And it's just, it's very generous of them to look at the Dolphins and think, it's not fair. No one should come last on their first year. We should, I think we should just take one for the team just to help out the expansion of rugby league. Yeah, look, a lot of clubs, obviously, uh, charity is a big part of the arm of most NRL clubs. But what a lot of people don't know, Mario, about Newcastle is that all of their philanthropy, as you said, um, happens sort of beneath the scene. Um, so people, you know, they won't notice it's happening. They won't seek publicity over it. Uh, but the reason that they're so shit 
is quite intentional. It's because they're trying to support all the other NRL clubs. In effect, the other NRL clubs are the Newcastle Knights charity. And that works for me because if they're going to support my team, who I think it's fair to say have made some interesting moves over the off-season, if the Knights want to help keep us away from the, the bottom few spots with anything they can do like that by releasing one of their only good players to join Manly, then I'm all for it. And thank you very much, Knights. Yeah, although I, I don't know if you've heard this rumour or not, uh, Ruben Garrick has been linked to another club. Is there any truth to that? Well, no, he's just literally been officially re-signed for Manly on a $400,000 a year contract to play centre. Oh, beautiful. When did that happen? Because I'm right. usually last of the news. I think today or yesterday, we knew it, everyone knew about it like a good week ago, but it was officially announced by the club either today or yesterday. Beautiful. I gotta tell you, I mean, you're a Manly fan, so I don't need to salute his virtues to you, but I'm a huge Ruben Garrick fan. Jesus is a good rugby league player. Yeah, he's still, he's still very underrated. And I think next year in the centres, people are going to start to see what he can do. And that's, and that's me hoping that he gets to play centre and that he's not shoved into fullback again, even though I think he did extremely well in fullback. I would rather that we have the best fullback in the game playing in his position. So you really think he's going to be a better centre than winger? Because he's a very good winger. He is a very good winger, and I'm not convinced that he's going to be a better centre than he is a winger. But for whatever reason, people are of the opinion that centres are worth more than wingers. And I'm I personally don't think that's actually the case anymore. I think that ship has sailed, and I think wing is now a more important position than centre. But there seems to be this idea in rugby league that if you're on money, you've got to move further in the field, and the people on the outside edge are worth the least. And I think all you have to do is watch Brian Toto play a game to know that wingers, like he's almost, he's often one of the most important players in the team. I thought he was should have been the Clive Churchill winner myself. And Ruben Garrick not only is one of our best players playing on the wing, he's also a really good goal kicker, which has been shown so many times to be a really, really important, you know, factor in a team. And how many games do teams lose when they've got a bad goal kicker? It's a huge, huge difference. I totally agree with you. I, I think it's a one of the, um, you know, the, the worst myths to get circulated in the game that wingers are the most superfluous positions that you can have because you know, and we all see teams that have bad wingers get exposed um, because they are under a lot of individual pressure that I guess a lot of other positions don't have to contend with. You know, they're back there taking those tough kicks, for example. They, they need to be there running and charging out of their own 20-metre zone, uh, often on their own, make, gobbling up the yardage. You know, it's actually a really high pressure position. And they, you know, tend to be that last person that needs to make a defensive decision, you know, and stuff out tries. You know, you've got to be a finisher. You can't be a slow winger. You've also got to be a finisher. You've got to be durable. Um, You've got to do a lot of dummy half running. It's a fucking hard position. And anyone that thinks for whatever reason that this is a position that should be paid the least, I think they're out of their mind. So, too, just look at South. Their biggest, they had everything this year. But what they didn't have was two good wingers. They played Josh Mansour, Tane Milne, and Jackson Paulo in in that position. And all three of them were appallingly bad, just beyond yep. bad. I mean, Milne basically, they were in that game against Penrith for a long time. And Tane Milne just single-handedly made sure that they were zero chance of winning. And a week or two before that, Jackson Paulo had done the exact same thing in a game for them. They were... They, and, you know, as for Mansour, he was well past it 
long before this season started. I don't understand how he he's played first grade even in 2021. He was so very bad, couldn't hold the ball, couldn't jump, like couldn't get off the ground at all, couldn't do anything. And it just it makes it so easy for a good halfback to expose them. And Nathan Cleary in that in that prelim against South just absolutely exposed them. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the South Sydney's winger socks. Have you noticed that there's been too many redheads in that line? Mario, that brings us to the end of the show. We've offered probably very little insight, let's be honest, but um, we have talked a lot about redheads for some reason. You kept bringing it up. I'm not sure why. Uh, but if you're listening at home, we appreciate your company. It's been fun. Mario, do you have any closing remarks? Cameron Smith still a cunt. <laughs> and on that note, we'll see you soon. <laughs>